Women in Wellbeing is an Evans Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Marala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. This Kislev podcast is sponsored by Ellie Mandelbaum and family in loving memory of Rabbi Abraham Mandelbaum, Harav Abraham David Ben Shmuel, on what would have been his 84th birthday. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this month's Eden Center Women and Wellbeing podcast. Rosh Chodesh Kislev is here, which means Hanukkah is coming. And once again, I am thinking about the themes of light and darkness. Light and dark are quite a contrast, similar to black and white. The holiday of Hanukkah is also black and white in many ways. The evil Greeks tried to quash Jewish life. The victory and miracles of the Jews marked by the Hanukkah candles. However, life is not so black and white. Sometimes people, leaders, rabbis, who are meant to be models of Torah and uh, lead their lives based on ethical behavior, actually have weaknesses, faults, and unfortunately can cause pain and suffering to others. Today, the world in general is experiencing a tikkun. Victims of sexual abuse are bravely feeling comfortable enough to come forward and share their stories. This is happening within the religious Jewish community as well. Given that this issue is in the news again, with a senior religious Zionist rabbi now being investigated for sexually abusing women, it is once again time to shine a light on this topic. We have discussed this before in our podcast with Debbie Gross of Merkaz Tahel and with Shana Aronson of Magen. Today, I want to focus in on how to talk about this issue with our families, with older children in particular, How do we give them the tools to cope when someone they respect is accused? How can we as parents give our children tools to talk about the complexities and injustice of sexual abuse? After my short Torah thoughts, I'll be interviewing social worker Nahama Monk on these questions and more. The rabbis of the Talmud and throughout history were aware that no one is perfect. This is brought out most in the world of Agadah, the biographical stories of the rabbis. These stories grapple with a range of issues, many of which very much resonate today. These stories, which are scattered throughout the Talmud, impart to us how to be a good person and how to strive to live an ethical life. Can any of these stories help us navigate the question of how to view and deal with rabbis who are accused of sexual abuse? Nothing is an exact parallel, but perhaps we can learn something from the story of Elisha ben Abuya. This Tanaitic rabbi is a contemporary of Rabbi Akiva. The Talmud teaches that after being a great Torah scholar for a number of years, he believed he had an episode where he believed he overheard an angel saying that he, Elisha, has no place in the world to come. It is worth noting at this point that his name changed. He became known as Acher, Other. He heard the angel welcome rebellious children to do tshuva, everyone except for Acher. The story continues that after hearing this, he went astray. 
He began to behave sinfully, sleeping with a prostitute and uprooting plants on Shabbat. At this point in the story, Acher is outside the world of the rabbis. He is, so to speak, canceled. Yet one rabbi, a student, continues to be in contact with him. Their interactions in the story highlight the complexity of the situation. Rabbi Meir seems to hold out hope that Acher could do tshuva, but Acher sees no possibility of that. One theme which runs through the story is that the rabbis question whether the Torah of a sinning rabbi can be separated from the sinner and continue to be studied and repeated. One opinion says as follows, Rava taught, what is the meaning of the pasuk of the verse from the Song of Songs? I went down into the garden of nuts to look at the green plants of the valley. Says Rava, why are Torah scholars compared to nuts? Just as a nut, even though its outside is covered with soil and dirt, its content is not made repulsive. So too a Torah scholar, although he has sinned, his Torah is not made repulsive. However, there is also the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan quotes a verse from the book of Malachi, which states that a priest's lips should keep knowledge and should seek Torah from, and we should seek Torah from his mouth, for he is an angel of the Lord of hosts. Says Rabbi Yochanan, if the rabbi is similar to an angel, then people should seek Torah from his mouth. But if not, they should not seek Torah from his mouth. Meaning, if a rabbi strives to be like an angel, then we can learn Torah from him. If he behaves unlike an angel, then we certainly should not learn Torah from him. The story continues and ends with an interaction which sort of seems to um, take a side on this debate. And it says that one rabbi came across Eliyahu Hanabi. And he says to Eliyahu at that moment, what is the Holy One doing? What is the Holy One, blessed be he, doing? Eliyahu answers that God is stating halachot transmitted by all the sages, but does not say this halachot in the name of Rabbi Meir. When Eliyahu is asked about this, it becomes clear that God is not repeating the halachot from Rabbi Meir because he continued to repeat Torah from the mouth of Acher. Rabbi Meir once again makes his case before God, trying to defend the Torah of Acher, while at the same time acknowledging that he was a sinner. This Talmudic tale is filled with ambiguity and nuance. Rabbi Meir tries to defend learning Torah from Acher, but God and Eliyahu, Eliyahu as the emissary, seem to be not in favor. God does accept Meir's argument, somewhat, uh, and accepts that he hears his position. Yet the story seems to emphasize in the end the highly problematic nature of learning Torah from a sinning sage. The Torah and the sage, in the end, can't be totally separated. Having just touched the surface of this story, it is reassuring to see that Torah sources do grapple with this question of sinning rabbis. Rabbi Yochanan preaches that Torah can't be learned from sinners, while Rabbi Meir believes there is hope for his teacher, Acher, to repent, and at the same time acknowledges his sinning ways, and we see that complete denial is not an option. To return to Hanukkah for a moment, Hanukkah is the festival of light. And at first, light seems to be one color in contrast with the darkness. However, when looked at more closely, the fire is made up of more than one color and the light is more complicated. Hanukkah is about bringing light into our life and light into the world 
by raising issues that bring an array of complex emotions and color into our lives. The same is true here, where we are trying to bring light to these complicated issues to help bring light to the victims of abuse and to shine a light on this topic in a constructive way. Chodesh Tov. Nechama Monk is a social worker who specializes in trauma and sexual abuse. She has a private practice and is the director of the MSW program in Israel for Wurzweiler School of Social Work, Yeshiva University. Nechama is in the midst of earning her PhD in social work. Hi, Nechama. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So to begin, I want to just mention that I've already done a few podcasts related to this topic of sexual abuse in the religious community in the religious community over the last few years. Uh, we've talked in the past about the significance, the importance of raising awareness about sexual abuse. Uh, we've touched on the tendency to keep things quiet and also how to look for signs of abuse um, among friends, among family members, and also how to um, gently and carefully uh, support our friends and family members. Um, I also want to take a moment to highlight the work of Eden on this issue. The Eden Center works to bring this topic to the fore by educating both Kala teachers and Balaniot in all of the Eden courses about the way that sexual abuse can have an impact on marriage and the mikvah experience. The Eden Center also currently is working on a curriculum for Kala teachers to specialize in teaching women who have been through abuse. In that, we hope to support victims and create safe spaces for survivors in our community. Today, we're talking about the stage before all of that, about prevention and how we as parents can be involved in giving our children tools to beat this scourge. Unfortunately, this topic is timely and in the news again, since the religious Zionist world in Israel is grappling with the allegations of sexual abuse by Rabbi Tao, a well-known rabbi from the right-wing strain of the religious Zionist community. Because he has had such a big influence on rabbis who may very well be teaching our sons in yeshivot and mechinot, I would like to focus with you today on the question of how to talk constructively about this kind of case with older children. Before we get to this specific case, uh, I would really love to hear more about your story, Nahama. Could you briefly tell us about how you came to specialize in working with victims of abuse? So um be happy to, and thank you again for having me. Um, well, I, I started off with my bachelor's in Yehutz from Michlala in Jerusalem, and I realized that I the emotional and mental health therapeutic side was more compelling to me and I was looking to volunteer and to study more and broaden my knowledge and my base that way and I started going to uh, family therapy at Mahon Magid and simultaneously I started volunteering at the crisis center for religious women at the time that's what it was called today it's called Tahel um and it started off, the volunteering started off with a course that we did. So we did a course to find, to, which taught us a lot about um, trauma, about um, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, interpersonal violence, um, child sexual abuse, and, um, and aiding and assisting on the, in different levels on the hotline. And I volunteered on the hotline. And towards the end of the year, they opened up an educational um, division 
-hmm. And they asked me if I'd join the educational division, which I was happy to. And we started giving different courses and um, workshops to really all spectrums of the community, whether it was children in uh, preschool, whether it was in elementary school, whether it was in high school, whether it was for Shogutlumi girls, whether it was for social workers, for medical students, for Balaniot, which is something that we did. And the main, the main aspect of our work was in, in trauma, in sexual abuse, sexual abuse of children and domestic abuse. So those were the areas that we kind of specialized in. And, um, and as I progressed both professionally and in my work, um, I had a few additional uh, responsibilities at the Rape Crisis Center. I was the head of, I was the coordinator for the volunteers. I was the coordinator for the aiding in the hotline. At some, at some point, I started also taking a meeting with, with victims and um, escorting them in the judicial process mm. um, and the, the criminal process. Um, and and I, I worked there for over 10 years. Wow. And while I was working there, I really kind of got a speciality in crisis intervention because mm-hmm. um, at every at the end of every uh, lecture that we gave, one, two, four uh, people would kind of trickle up and say, you know, this happened to my sister, this happened to me, this happened to my neighbor, this happened to, and mm-hmm. asking for, for assistance and for aid. Um, and, um, and I really wanted to be able to also um, uh, do some more depth and therapeutic work. And that's when I went and I got my master's. Um, and after I got my master's, part of my work was to work with this clientele. And the Rape Crisis Center um, was referring clients to me. And basically, with a lot of extra um, courses that I've taken in uh, uh, complex PTSD, in domestic abuse, in uh, in feminist therapy, in EMDR, in... uh, CBT, plenty of different modalities that I've studied throughout the years in order to be able to provide my clients better um, skills and relief uh, options. Um, And basically, that's how my clinic grew. Um, After a while, I, um, I moved from the Rape Crisis Center to managing a domestic violence treatment center in Maseret. I did that for seven years, um, and then um, and then I went on to, to my doctorate, which also is in regards to sexual abuse. Um, and I'm doing my doctorate through Wurzweiler, and um, they asked me to be the director of a program in Israel. So that's part of what I'm doing at the moment as well. Wow. So that's my that's my professional journey. Incredibly impressive. Um, since you've been working in this field for a long time with all of this experience, tell us what the process is like when someone comes public with a claim uh, of abuse. Uh, what is it like? How does someone decide it's time to share? Uh, we're seeing often the situation where where women are coming forward much later. Um, 
and in particular over the last few years. Um, I want to add to that a second question, if you can keep it in mind. When uh, when someone comes forward with a claim, how how are we meant to know? How do we know? This is the thing that I hear a lot from people. How do we know if it's true? Okay, so there are a few a few aspects to this. Um, when does a when does somebody decide to come forth is very personal. I don't think there's a uh, specific uh, time that that it takes. Research shows that. People who are sexually abused, it takes between 17 to uh, 21 years until they feel that they have the emotional ability to disclose what happened to them. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, so, so if somebody already finds there's so much stigma regarding sexual abuse, there's stigma regarding the, the shame that it creates. There's stigma around um, who did you were you uh, did you want it did you not want it did you invite it were mm. you um, I'm I'm blanking on the word in English of the the lefatot in Hebrew is the is the word were you tempted did you tempt were, were were you were you tempting were you yeah. provocative did you did you initiate this um, and there's a lot of blame shame and guilt. That, uh, that a survivor um, or victim has. And, um, and therefore, disclosing is a very, very difficult stage. There's also a lot of fear that, um, especially with people of authority, when the perpetrators are people of authority, that I won't be believed, that I'll be shamed. Um, and, and that fear many times will, will say, what do I need this for? Why should I come and say anything? I'll just take care of myself and, and that's it. So if somebody does decide to disclose the, the emotional um, price that it takes is so severe that I, I think in very, very rare cases of very um, strong mental uh, dis- disabilities, um, that's what, that would be not, it, it would be something that I wouldn't believe. Another, another uh, aspect of that is that if one person comes and accuses uh, a, a perpetrator or whoever it is that um, that they were sexually abused, then there is really place to raise questions, especially if their story doesn't seem uh, believable. Mm-hmm. But usually, when there's more than one victim, that's already a sign that says, "Hmm." To me, to me as a professional, that's already a sign that says. I would go with the victim on this one, um, yeah. with the victims, uh, because it, usually somebody that is a perpetrator doesn't stop with one, and that is that's that's a that's a big giveaway. If there's more than one um, accusation, then that's a big giveaway as far as I'm concerned. Right. As I mentioned in the introduction, the religious Zionist world in Israel is grappling with allegations against Rabbi Tao. There has been a process of, this has been going on for a few months, of checking the validity of the claims of, we now know of two women who have come forward against Rabbi Tao. Various rabbis and rabbiniot have met with the victims and, and apparently also a few other anonymous women who claim to have been abused. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it's now been a few months since the first woman spoke out, uh, and very bravely is standing in Jerusalem, uh, regularly to, to, uh, to, to raise awareness and speak out against this injustice. 
Um, so the, it seems that now with with the involvement of all this leadership, these claims are much more are being viewed as well founded and clearly need to be investigated. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this process? Um, uh, some, you know, you mentioned already waiting for other voices to emerge. Um, we see also very strong reactions now against these people speaking out, um, leaders who are coming to defend, um, the alleged perpetrator and denying, uh, how should we as, you know, the community, the lay people and, and also leaders within the community, um, at this stage in the process, what, what should be our role? I think our role is to, on the one hand, understand that, um, I think that's what I love about uh, about Judaism, is that our leaders are human. In in the Torah, all the stories that we have, they also portray the, 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 the um, heroes as human and as making mistakes and as people that, that can, can, uh, um, can just, can make discussions and 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 be at fault, and and I think we're the ones that uh, brought into the world the essence of tshuva, and we're the ones who brought into the world uh, the the whole essence essence of slicha and forgiveness. And I definitely think that um, that in that sense, we just have to remember that the leaders of our community are human, and humans make mistakes, and therefore. Um, I would I would look in that view, both at supporting the victims and um, not necessarily throwing out the, the 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 baby with the water when it comes to our leaders and to uh, and to uh, um, how we look at, um, at at Judaism or halacha or rabbanim or um, and we're like there's no there's very little black and white. There's a lot of colors and, um, and, and, and understanding that and seeing the world that way, I think also as a therapist that, um, that deals with such harsh stories of people, it, it allows me to see things in perspective and with hope mm-hmm. and not necessarily with uh, despair. Wow. And it takes a lot of courage for these women to speak up and they need to be supported and I think the big 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 issue is whether somebody takes responsibility or not and because we're human and things can happen and people but if you take responsibility that is what makes the, the ability for us to accept to forgive to move forward and um and if somebody isn't accountable and doesn't take responsibility um, that's where, that's where it gets a little dirty. Well, that's, um, quite a good segue into my next question. You mentioned, you know, characters and our heroes in Tanakh, in Torah, and I can also add to that as someone who's taught Agadot of Chazal, we do have, um, stories presented to us about the humanity, the, the failings, the mistakes, and sometimes in, in Torah, you know, big mistakes. Um, and we, we see two reactions to, to these sorts of things. There are, there are people who teach these, uh, teach the Torah and say, okay, like you just said, these are human beings. They have faults. Uh, we're meant to look, to learn something from this. It's here to learn something. 
we also have people who deny who who view it as something else. It's not really, it was written in this way for our sakes, not really, this is not really the, the story. And so it's it's a relevant, um, I like that you brought it up because it gets to my next question, which is, you know, I, I'm at this stage where I have older children around the table and I'm thinking a lot about how, how do I talk about this? It's coming up anyway. So how do we talk about this at the Shabbat table? Um, how do we preserve on the one hand respect for rabbis, religion, for our leaders? And at the same time, being clear about the alleged injustice, the covering up. Some, as I mentioned before, some rabbis who are students of our, of, who are teachers of our, our boys will be are denying. Mm-hmm. How do we, how can we talk about that effectively with our children? I think we have to talk about denial. I think we, talk, <laughs> we need to talk about it as a defense mechanism. I think that it's, it's, uh, I think we need to talk about it as, as something that's protecting ourselves and to ask ourselves, do we need that protection and why? What do, what other skills do we need or what other um, uh, abilities do we need in order to be able to say, to hold both things in one and not to have either ors, but to have a few things together. Hmm. So you're holding a few things together and that's complexity and that's humanity. Humanity is being able, and I think that's Judaism. That's for me, that's Judaism. It's, it's, also, it's also being able to say, you're not allowed to have chametz and Pesach and also being able to say, in certain circumstances, you can sell your chametz, and even though it's hidden in the cupboard, you <laughs> can still have it. <laughs> so we, we find solutions, and we understand complexity, and we understand that there that there are a lot of different factors that come in, and we need to be able to hold it. And when we're when when we deny, it's because we're not able to handle. We're not able to hold the complexity. And to understand that and to say, okay, what do we need in order for us to be able to hold it? What is that need behind the denial that is not allowing us to look and to say, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yes, it's, it's, it's creating um, uh, uh we need your help with the translation. Crisis of faith. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because I wanted to have this pure faith and this beautiful kind of atopic uh, uh, view, and you just ruined it for me. Yes. Yes. And 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 it's understanding that a, apart from Hashem, there is no perfect end. Yes. And 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 accepting it and accepting it accepting it in, in, in a way of saying, yeah, that's what that's what makes us able to strive. That's what's able makes us able to to reach higher 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 planes of wuhaniyot. That's what helps us to become better people. The ability to accept, to acknowledge that that something's wrong, and to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people that have the need to deny have a harder time holding that complexity. And moving forward to, to to changing and to to becoming better. So I think wow. if we're able to kind of not be scared by the denial, but to look at it with compassion and to understand the denial and to ask what's behind it, it it, it opens. It, it enables us to kind of discuss it more. 
Do you have any practical tips for talking how to start this conversation with, um, you know, we're talking about obviously high school and older children. Um, I, I, I think I think that the 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 question is what is a what is a to, I would start what is the need what is the need of of the discussion is it our need as parents is it the need of the of the of the teens um, and where is it coming from because the the need would um, would give me a certain path to what would be the best way to do it. If the need is my fear that my kids are gonna, that's one. That's one way of, then then we need to understand that, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily a need of the teens. Many times the teens see things much straighter than we do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're able to. But if it's a need of the teen to understand, and then exactly that, and it's discussing the complexity, it's 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 showing complexity, it's showing complexity from their own lives where they really want to, I mean, they, they see the world in black and white, but they don't necessarily uh, participate in the world in black and white and, yes. and, and being able to, to, to bring that forth. I also really, really think that a lot of the discussion needs to be done, not when they're teens, hmm. but being able to discuss feelings and emotions from a very young age. Um, and turning behaviors, um, not turning, but um, mediating between behaviors and the emotions behind it. So something may not be very, uh, if, if a child is, um, is supposed to get a vaccination or you need to go to the dentist. Yeah, I don't know a lot of people who like going to the dentist. <laughs> so it's scary. And it's, so we will talk about what we can, we'll, we'll acknowledge that it's scary. And we'll talk about what can we do to make you feel more safe and secure and for it to be less painful, but we're not going to stop you from going to the dentist. You still need to, it's not a, it's not an excuse. It's being able to deal. And when we give the, when we give children the, the, the tools to discuss their emotions, then when something like this happens, they're able to, they're able to, to hold it much, much better. Mm. They're able to listen to themselves so that in, in different situations, when they're feeling uncomfortable, they don't quiet that feeling. They talk about it because they have the words to, to be able to. So on both a prevention level and the discussion level, I feel that being able to do that is very important. Hmm. So you may have answered my last question, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway <laughs> and hope that maybe you'll have what to add to it. Um so uh, as you mentioned, I'm actually amazed by the statistic you, you mentioned that it takes 17 to 21 years for a person, for a victim to come forward and speak out. That's an unbelievable amount of time for a person to have to live with a secret mm-hmm. like that. Um, so how can we give our kids the tools and the strength to come forward um, if, God forbid, something untoward happens to them? Is there something we can do as parents to... to uh, to set them up for, for please God, this not happening. And if they're in a situation, um, how to be able to talk about it. So again, I think, I think the most important thing is to be, to be um, ready for emotional discussion, Mm. which is not easy. Um, uh, And not to have emotional, not, not to run to solve things for our kids to let them grapple a little bit and deal with and be there as a sounding board again emotionally 
or or uh, um, in thought. Let's think about it. Let's let's look at it from different aspects. Let's. Many times, as parents, we're so caught up with the practical. But you need to get to school. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do, 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 that. We we don't stop to to think about the skills that it requires, and the emotions that come up with it. And the more we can provide, trust them that they'll know how to get up in the morning and less worry about the, the practical and more uh, be uh, available to emotional and, and thought-provoking um, discussion, I think that's the way to go so that the communication is open um, and therefore, if something does happen, you're, you are being used as a sounding board and you are being, uh, there's a dialogue so that you can be part of it and you can be um, in and, and influencing what is going on in your child's, um, in your child's mind. Um, and, but, but that also they have the tools to be able to, to express themselves because it's a, it's a language that's already acquired. Hmm. That's incredible advice. This has been really helpful. And I hope discussions like these and the amazing work you are doing and the wonderful work of the Eden Center only brings about tikkun and um, and a better world where uh, then, people should not be then. suffering. So thank you so much to be Chodesh Tov. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedincenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe.